not see this coming Welcome back to another episode of the Year of Polygamy podcast. I'm your host, Lindsay, and I'm back with part three of talking to Aaron Sullivan, uh, someone who is, you know, a certified genius who, as a byproduct of his brain or who knows why, um, had prophetic experiences, visions, uh, angels, and then one day they just stopped. Uh, And I, as I've talked about in episode one, which you should listen to first, uh, this is important to me. This is relevant to this podcast because... Polygamy seems to always show up uh, in personal revelation to people. It's a very Mormon script, but also prophetic mantle. I'm, I'm, you know, very curious as to why these things that we've talked about in the podcast, why they happen. And Aaron has provided a really interesting possible explanation or experience to that. So uh, listen to part one and part two. But if not, Aaron, let's jump into where are you now? Where, where are you at life now? And I want to hear your thoughts on prophets now, where, what sure. you believe. Sure. So uh, it's been, it was Memorial Day 2012 that I sat down with my wife and kids and told them I'm done with this. And I don't quite know where I'm headed, but I'm done with LDS Mormonism. Within about three months after that of trying to find some other form of Mormonism to grab onto, and doing a lot of reading about religious experience and the psychology of religious experience and uh, you know, I don't know why I'd never stop to try and look for like neurological studies on people that hear voices or see things. I'd considered that there was a condition like that out there, but I don't know why I never in all those years didn't stop and try and go look at some clinical data, some, you know, some academic material on what else could explain this. I mean, it was right in front of my face that whole time and I was terrified of the possibility, but I just didn't. I mean, on the one hand, I know part of the reason I didn't is I didn't want to accept that could be me. But man, like I had suffered a lot less if I had. Well, it's so compelling to think you're special and you're important yeah. and God is like, yeah. that's very heady stuff. Yeah. So, so one of the things that sort of happened is I was studying neurological phenomena related to this and studying other religions and how they evolved <laughs> And noticing patterns in them is I just started to realize to myself, you know, I started to reach my own conclusion that this is a very human thing. This whole phenomena of religion making and the psychology of good and evil and even hearing voices and seeing things, it's very human. And there's other ways to explain it. That so may- many people are having visions. That's right. Just not even in Mormonism. That's right. But also in Mormonism. That's right. You you can. I I don't I don't have like the websites to look up right in front of me right now. I mean, we can pin this on later. You know, one of the things that struck me is I found websites for societies of people that hear voices and see things. They're like support groups. They this was sort of pre sort of this happening on Facebook so far as I know. So anybody can go search this out, but they're presenting statistics on these sites for, you know, how many people have this once in their life, once a month in their life, once a week in their life to what intensity, what else is going on? Is it a voice in their head? Is it an audible voice? Is it, you know, is it uh, a visual hallucination of some kind? And like, it's not 
big numbers, but it's small enough numbers that if you know, you know, a hundred to two to 300 people, you're going to run into this and probably only scratch the surface or realize only a little bit's going on, right? Well, like you said, no one is wanting to be perfectly honest about that. They're not going to want to disclose. I mean, you said something to me at one point where you believe that almost everyone has some sort of, if we looked at it almost as a spectrum, Mm -hmm. and you're right. I mean, when I was 12, I saw a a ghost or a spirit or whatever, and I've never been able to make sense of that, right? Mm -hmm. But it makes sense that our brains are making sense of, I mean... But there's so much we don't know about it. And I I think that's what you're interested in discovering now, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, when I was when in my when I was in my late teenage years and I was thinking about a career, anything besides tech, I I wanted to get into brain studies. And I'm still quite interested in, you know, what we can do to understand how these phenomena emerge. And I today I take the perspective that this is all physical and in some sense there's a set of mechanics to it. And, you know, probably if we had better studies and better technologies and better mapping of the phenomena in the brain and human biology, you know, we could probably crisply describe this is exactly what creates this experience. And there are studies out there that try and scratch on that, you know, stimulate certain parts of people's brains, you know, or bring them certain experiences and measure what they're feeling. I just happen to think on that spectrum for the most intense end, there's probably a similar set of phenomena that we could study and generate. And, you know, you could ask how a person gets themselves there like I did. Uh, but I, I I think merely being able to replicate those phenomena in a lab, it goes a long way to explaining that, okay, this could emerge in other random circumstances. And, you know, uh, Somebody I like to read uh, off and on over the last few years as I was making sense of this talked about human beings being belief generating machines and pattern matching machines. And well, that's what Reza Aslan says that the human belief is to the human experience is to make meaning. And so, I mean, his thesis is why do we have to make the worst meaning, right? Why do we have to make God the worst person? Why can't we build better theologies? But, uh, I mean, we're, we're already, you know, I've, when, since you've reached out to me, I put you in touch with some experts because I think there's a few of us who encounter this stuff. I encounter it with, with this podcast a lot Mm -hmm. and you've encountered it from personal experience and we've got some scientists and some really credentialed people who we want to do something like look into this because at least in my, in my case, in the Mormon case, this, this keeps presenting itself over and over and over again. And we're lucky we don't have more dangerous things than we do, because if you're right and everyone's having it on a spectrum and the pain and struggle that you felt and all the stories I hear about people returning home from their missions or whatever is happening, this is more prevalent than our community wants to deal with. Mm -hmm. We need to look at it Mm -hmm. and we need to stop it so we don't get the Dan Lafferty's, you know? Yeah. And, you know, I have some sympathies for how hard that is in our Mormon community. To be honest, I have not spent a lot of time thinking about what it might be like considering the perspective of other religious movements or spiritual movements. But when you look at it in Mormonism, the way that this is structured is there's really, to my view, not a healthy, consistent way for individuals and church leaders to be able to recognize this phenomena when it emerges. 
it's too caught up in things that might be threatening to a person's own faith or threatening to the health of their relationships. Or authority of the church. Or the institution. That's right. Um, I mean, we like to think we like to think on the one hand that everybody is entitled to their own revelation and so forth here. But, you know, we have a whole history of grappling with what happens when that really takes off with individuals in the church in ways that are compelling to them and other people. And it's this constant power struggle. It can't be defined in the system as mental illness. Well, and nobody wants to, even non-believers. Like I've seen that with Julie Rowe. No one, it's easier to say she's not, she's crazy or whatever. And even the compassionate side of me, there's a stigma around like, we can't let it be neurological. Like, I don't know what that impulse is. I think it's deeply rooted in our community identity, but also a larger stigma about, you know, mental illness and what that means to stability. But Mm -hmm. This is why I think your story is so powerful. You were very, very successful, very smart, centered, uh, stable person. And uh, yet this was such a part of your life. It's such a huge part of your life. And I think that what why I wanted you to come talk on this was not to give more compassion to people who are having prophetic experiences, but for people that are having them who are out there listening to know that, first of all, you're not the only one. And it doesn't mean that you have to go off the rails, right? It, it doesn't mean that. And so much of what we probably need to resolve this requires a lot of academic progress and uh, good data. But a great deal of what we need to relieve the tensions behind this for most individuals is just to normalize the phenomena a little bit and provide some outcomes to this story that don't end terribly or don't end at all because some of the stories kind of don't end at all. Like either people get martyred or they get excommunicated or they lose their minds or they kill somebody or shoot themselves or whatever. There's, there, there's not a version of this story that says this is how it ended. Well, this is how it ended. Okay. And the versions of those stories that might like are either, well, they were right, and God came along and saved us all. I, I don't want to bet our whole community and religious movements, mental health for the people that are vulnerable, on waiting for that to come. If, if you want to believe that's possible, you can choose that route. But if you're anything like me, you're going to spend your life suffering with this. Even when you've found better ways to cope, you're probably going to suffer with this. And the people around you are going to suffer. And there's a reasonably good chance if you let this get away from you and you're influential with the people around you, you're going to make them suffer. And, and, and I, I make this point from the most fundamental, fringiest elements that most everybody that lives a more normative life can point at and say that's not healthy. But I did say a little bit earlier, I think our own church does that to people, right? It, it's just, it's not tons of them. And for the ones that it does happen with, it's only a little And then for some of them, you know, it's constant and they're suffering a lot. And we at least have enough language to maybe tell them they're suffering from depression or mental illness. But we don't think a lot about what that means to their well-being and their faith and their sense of self. And we just are terrified of the possibility of telling them that this whole experience you're having is constructed in your own mind because then you're going to lose them from the faith and you're going to have to grapple with that yourself like I did. 
right? A pill can destroy this experience, right? Or it can just snap out on its own after years and years and years. Where's the line between me having a genuine divine experience and this being a mental illness. Well, we only want uh, we want only our prophets to have divine experiences and everyone else to have mental illnesses. And I think that that's that's interesting mm-hmm. because given another place in time, you could have been a fundamentalist prophet. You that's could right. have recruited believers. I see that over and over and over. I say that all the time. I see prophets that do this over and over and over. And that's why Julie was so compelling to see a female who is also resisting. You can tell there's conflict. There's She's getting pressure from dark spirits, dark energies. And and by the way, people said, what did Julie have to do with polygamy? If you listen, actually listen to what she has to say, Rather than just hear this like compulsive talking over or whatever that people were accusing her of, she admits that they were doing ceilings. She admits that they were doing, they were following this path that this entire podcast just keeps talking about. It's a very Mormon way that we, we deal with this. Aaron, what would you say to people like maybe Julie or people that have these revelations like that would feel defensive and say, don't tell me it's not real. Don't tell me it's not ma- mental illness. You're trying to to, you know, transfer Aaron's experience onto to theirs. What would you say to that, to prophets listening? Yeah. Um, you know, I would ask them, to some extent, there were a few moments in my life, and I shared some here, where I stopped and I did the math. And some of the math I did was, how at ease and happy are you really with what's going on with you? Have you, have you thought about your own wellness in this regard and how much you're suffering? And do you really think your suffering is necessary to bring all the rest of these things about? I, I, I don't personally believe that you can talk somebody out of this who doesn't want a way out of this. I, I think it is difficult to find a way to talk to people who are bought into this at a level where they cannot bring themselves to consider the alternative. But that having been said, I think almost all of them go through moments where they consider the alternative. It's just, we don't see it, right? I, how many times in my own process did I stop and say, this might be crazy, this might be crazy? Some moments were just a second or two. Some moments were minutes, hours, right? I didn't tell other people about that. I didn't want to let them in because it's tied up in a lot of shame. But you know, if I'd had somebody I could talk to about this that could say, I think I understand a little bit about what might be be going on there, I might open up a little more. And even if I can't talk to him, if I can hear a story like this, if I can recognize the humanity in my experience mapped onto all of theirs, well, one way I can go about it is say, I'm the best. I'm the one. It's me. You heard me say that earlier. Another way you can say is, no, you're not, and you don't have to be, and you don't have to suffer with this experience. And I believe that most of them that go through this, whether they tell you it's going on or not, it breeds chaos in their lives and the lives of their loved ones. And there is constant suffering with this. Now, there may be mania and high moments, but I believe there's constant suffering as well. And also, like we pointed out earlier, there's plenty of people that do bad things and and good things without God talking to them. So mm-hmm. if we can look around, I mean, I don't even know if that's helpful in that mindset. But yeah, we have people changing the world, and and you know maybe your angels tell you God's telling them, but I don't I don't think that they're experiencing it that way. No, I I don't think so. And I think it's worth asking, like, who made all of this? 
You know, that's one of the questions I ask myself. I, I think it's important just to get out front in this conversation, or at least make it a part of the conversation. It's not really out front here. I, I don't believe in God anymore. I don't, I don't believe there's a purpose to all of this, but I do believe that there are patterns, that there is reality, that this experience is in some sense real, and that our minds are not wired to tap us into, you know, the ultimate ground truth reality naturally. Our minds are wired to just try and find a way to make sense and make comfort and make self-reinforcement out of what's going on around us. And survive. And survive. And your mind, my mind, can do this to you. It can it can manufacture all of this. And and you could say, well, that's not my experience, but we got plenty of data for people that are hallucinating. We have plenty of data for people who are delusional, and it is real as day to them that this is going on. And we can pin that to more discrete neurological phenomena. Uh, we but can, that's such a scary thought for people. Right. I mean, no one wants to no. believe that they that their thoughts that they're wrong, right? Humans want to be right. right. We don't want to think right. it could right. happen. And and you know, in fairness, I can't I can't say that I am certain that every person that might be in a place like this that comes out of it that the only outcome could be a better one. I, I I do suppose it's possible and likely in some cases that the alternative to this is some other form of misery that they'd rather not go into. Uh, but I I really think for most of them, for all of them, the odds are high enough that it's probably worth doing versus the alternative of living life through like this. I mean, do the math for a minute. How many prophets are out there? How many of them ended up being right? How many of them said I was right and, you know, they were obviously wrong and it went off the rails and it hurt people? And then ask yourself, what are the odds? Really? Go just do some simple probability math. What are the odds that's you? The odds that's you are vanishingly small. And And like you said, we don't need... Mormonism has really cankered in that it wants... It asks us all to be Joseph Smith, but not really, right? That's right. We're all supposed to be quite as great as him, but not quite as great as him. That's right. And perfect, but not perfect here. And that's that's why I think I resonate with your experience as a perfectionist with an eating disorder, because I experienced the same things you did just with that coping mechanism. Mm-hmm. My my body took it out. I, my brain took it out on my body mm-hmm. to control it, right? And I see it over and over and over again, and it comes up. And what if we don't have to be the prophet? What if we don't have to know the answers? What if we don't have to be the high priesthood leader? What if we can use our talents in other ways? What if we can use our gifts in other ways? Uh, what if we do good on our own free will without God testing us? What if we just did good because we want to do good? Yeah. And what if that life experience entailed way less suffering for everybody as a side benefit than the alternative of trying to cling on to this weird supernatural belief that our society doesn't accept and that you feel you might be rejected for. If, if, if you could just highlight every person around us in our community where you could just look at them and know they had something like this and the outcome was different, it didn't have to go badly, and it would be a small number relative to the total population. We're talking low single digits, right? Uh, you know, very low single digits. But I think seeing how normal it is and seeing how it played out in other people's lives do a lot to talk folks out of it. I I couldn't make sense of my experience when I first left until I started looking into how many other people, you know, had 
similar experiences that they didn't have to correlate to a religious belief, right? And I just happened to pin mine onto that. Or how many people had a religious belief in that and it didn't work out and they wandered for a while. Okay, well, Aaron, what advice, what's your last thoughts would you, would you want people to know? Can people reach out to you? Can they talk to you? I mean, you're a little worried about you. I don't want to attract people who are having, you know, violent visions to your door. But what what is it that uh, you would hope yeah, for the community? I, you know, I've worried for a while. What would this, you know, what might this bring to my doorstep for not much added benefit in my, you know, in my own little sphere of life? And I still worry about that. That having been said, I feel pretty sympathetic to people who are suffering through this. I I don't have an answer I'm ready to present here right this moment on that outside of what we'd already talked about, which is you can find other explanations for this that might be a lot easier in some senses to process and make sense of and live with and provide more consistency to your life. But it's it's my goal over the coming months and years to begin to try and find ways to plug into a community of people that have this problem in our in our Mormon world and find ways to help them. And it's not hard for me to do that in one-on-one conversations with people. Like I, I don't, I don't feel sad or ashamed or afraid of the dialogue, but you know, a lot of the work and the torment that goes on with this for people, it's coming to grips with it up front. It's hidden for them. And it's finding your own way out. Right. And I would say, I can't necessarily tell you where it ends for you on your way out. But I do believe, as I said earlier, for most of us, that if you need somebody to talk to, you've got something here to listen to and maybe a way to get in contact if you know Lindsay. <laughs> and uh, I know yeah, plenty of problems. I'd be happy to chat. And uh, if you're worried about where this is going to end, my life is so much happier and more fulfilling. It was in every one of those respite periods in between. There's just really no comparison. And you know, this will sound crazy, but if I had to choose between like the most awesome celestial glory for that misery and that moral code and projecting that onto other people versus what I have right now, I, you know, I'd take something lesser in the end. That's just not a universe I want to perpetuate or extend in any way, shape or form. I think, I think there's a lot of joy in the life that we have right now. There's a lot more that's possible there. And you know, these hallucinations that I had, in, you know, they turn out in my hindsight to have been these small, terrible things that I kind of inflicted on myself without knowing it. And I didn't have to carry that around. You were just trying to that's make right. sense of it. You were trying that's your right. best. Yeah. And and like you, that's where I, I, I mean, this is not quite the same thing, but with the eating disorder, I tried so hard to stop that I knew that it was kill myself or sit in it. And once you accept and sort of stop uh, this pressure, this this obsessive rumination of fear of God and the eternal glory, like it's so much more freeing. And like you said, if that's the way, if that's what God asks of us, no thanks. Opt out. I'm fine being less righteous. Like people hearing, and if this is, you know, if, if this is an out for prophets who feel uncomfortable, people having revelations and say, oh, well, that makes sense. They're just wicked. That's fine. You know what? I'm happy. I'm happy to to be wicked. They say wickedness never was happiness, but beating yourself up 
for righteousness at that level is so cancerous and disordered and dangerous and reckless. There's no fruit of good in it for me. And um, if God asks that, then that's not a God that I'm that I'm capable of worshiping. Yeah, and I, I think for you know our religious movement, that's 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 a a good reason why the church turned into something that's a little more corporate and stodgy. It, it like as much as we may not like it, and it doesn't feel fulfilling. <laughs> It, you know, the form of chaos it brings into our lives is a lot softer than what we tend to have when, you know, we just go really, you know, really out to the edges on this experience. Um, and I, I, you know, you mentioned ruminating a few times. Isn't it interesting in your rumination, if it was like mine, how few options you really consider for all the time you spent thinking about it? You're caught in a loop almost, right? You don't realize you can just drop the rope. I always say the tug of work, just drop the rope. Like you had an opportunity to do that with your grandparents, thank goodness. And uh, anyone out there who is caught in the cycle or knows family members, I would, or I would say, talk to your family members about this. There are more people than you know. And I hear these stories over and over to the point where I start to get this disordered uh, view of how prevalent it is. I'm like, is everybody just walking around (laughs) hearing voices? Um, So, Aaron, I really appreciate you coming on. I think it it is a courageous thing because there's a stigma, but I think you're showing like, again, I'm not trying to like reify stigma, but you are like the most stable, thoughtful, kind, gentle, professional, successful person. I mean, what other proof do you have that that like it's okay to confront this? Like it's we don't need to be scared of this anymore. So I really I think that takes courage. So thank you. Thank you for giving some time here and uh, spending spending it with me to to uh, share this. Okay, so uh, we'll probably have. I'd like to have you back on sometimes, just to just because I think I've been consulting Aaron now on a few religious movements and people like the Chad Dayball thing. You've really given me some really brilliant insight that's really played out, I think, consistently with what we're seeing. And yeah, I'd like to have you come back on because I think your insight is really helpful. I I. I think that sounds great. It'd be fun to talk about one of those cases a little bit. Okay. Well, thanks everyone for listening. If you appreciate this interview, you can support your polygamy. I always need your support. Donations are great, especially during this time. So uh, donations help me keep making the podcast. And like I said, I I aim to make this podcast a place where we're talking about some of the reconstruction after the whole, you know, two years of deconstruction. you know 200 episodes of deconstruction it's time to also explore some of the ways that we can move forward so thanks everyone for listening and thank you Aaron The song you just heard is called My Disguise by Mikkel Douse. Her album is available for purchase on iTunes or Apple Music. Thanks for listening.